Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Years and years ago, when I still lived in West Texas, I was working sheep for a guy. And if you've never had the opportunity to work sheep, well... <laughs> I don't know whether that's good or bad. I don't know whether that... It's, it's an experience that everybody needs to... And let me tell you something that I learned. Anybody can push a cow. It takes somebody special to push a sheep. <laughs> My goodness. So, so we went out there, and this is big, big ranch country, real, real brushy country. And I was on a yellow horse named Nanner Puddin'. Okay. <laughs> Nanner Puddin was this horse's name, and he was named by, well, I don't know about mature, but grown cowboys, right? Everybody needs a horse named Nanner Puddin, right? And, and Nanner was something special, okay? One of my favorite stories about Nanner Puddin was we had got back from another gathering, and it was cows that time, but anyway, we had a, a, a cage-top trailer with a canvas top over it, and we had got done, and one of the few times it, that it really rained, well, it, I don't want to say it rained, it started sprinkling after we got done. And we had just turned the horses out kind of where the yard was, this big old uh, fenced-in spot, but he'd let them eat in the, in the grass and around the barn and stuff like that. And so we had turned them out, and it started raining. And I said, man, you think we ought to go put those horses up? He goes, oh, it ain't raining that bad. They'll be all right. I said, well, I'm going to go check on them just to make sure. And I walked around there, and all the horses are eating in the front yard except Nanner. He's standing in the open trailer in the back just looking out because he doesn't want to get wet. That's Nanner Pudding, okay? So so me and Nanner are going along, and, and we've got our area to cover. And, and I got across this draw, and I mean, it, guys, I ain't, I ain't kidding y'all. When I talk about brushy and thick, put it this way. We got in it so bad that I had to get off Nanner and try to back him up. But we had gone through a branch and we couldn't back up. And there was a branch about this high that Nanner couldn't fit under with me on top of him. So I had to get off and coax him through and the saddle horn would hit. And I actually got Nanner to hunker down like this and walk under a branch. He was a cool horse, right? For a little while. Because what happened next was something that I, I'm sure... If Hollywood doesn't call me to make this movie, you know, by next week or something, y'all, y'all, I don't know what happened. We get there and I find all of these sheep, right? Dirty range maggots. And so we, I, I start pushing them back kind of along I, I, uh, I-10 is where we are, Bakersfield, Texas. And I start pushing these sheep. And, and cattle will generally kind of stay together. Sheep don't, right? And, and so we're going along, and they start separating. And so I run over here, and I'm trying to push these. Well, these get pushed, but these still live the same amount of space. So I'm just kind of pushing all these. And when I say a lot, I'm talking about like, like 600. Okay, we're not talking about 38, Right? It's just a sea of maggots around, and they keep splitting, and I don't know what they, why they're splitting, but all of a sudden, Nanner starts getting a little 
jumpy, nervous acting, shaky, kind of wanting to run sideways. And I'm like, what in the world? And then I see it. This wasn't a video game, but it was something like it because all of a sudden the boss sheep stood up. And as this fuzzy boss sheep stood up, it was bigger than the rest of them, right? And he didn't take kindly to it. This sheep, instead of having legs about this long, this sheep had legs about this long. And instead of having a neck about this long, it had a neck about this long. And what most people call the boss sheep was actually a llama. Now, neither me nor Nanner Puddin had ever come across a boss sheep out in the pasture that steps out from behind a mesquite tree. My loyal and faithful Nanner Puddin left the country. <laughs> and because of my love for llamas, I went with him. We just got in our truck and just went back to the house. No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. We got the job done. You know, my great and honorable steed that will do whatever I ask him to, that puts himself up out of the rain, that can crawl under branches and all of this stuff, he, he forsook our purpose and left out of there at the first sight of the llama. You know, today we're going to talk about a pedigree of a king. We're going to talk about the people that led up to the birth of Jesus. We've talked about Abraham. We have talked about his son Isaac and his son Jacob and his son Judah. And then we skipped some generations and went to uh, Boaz. And now we're going to hear the story of Boaz's wife, a Moabite woman named Ruth. Loyalty is hard to find in good times. It's even more rare during hard times. And if anybody ever had a hard time, it was Ruth, okay? Ruth is a Moabite, meaning, you know, she's like the difference in, uh, oh, I don't know, it's like being from England or something. It's a different country, right? But uh, she is married to a guy. Her mother-in-law is a woman named Naomi. Naomi's husband dies, and so does Naomi's son that Ruth is married to. He dies. So we've got two widow women, right, in a time in our history when it was not uh, very prosperous to be a single widowed lady. And so Ruth or Ruth follows Naomi back to Israel from Moab. Okay, so they travel back to where Naomi's from. And Naomi tells her daughter, look, you're not even from Israel. You're not from Canaan. You're from Moab. Go back to your family and everything will be fine. I'll go back and try to find some of my extended family or something like that. But Ruth says this. You've probably heard it in weddings. It's one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, and it's all about loyalty. And it only takes six verses to get to it in Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, verse 6 says, But Ruth said, talking to Naomi, her mother-in-law, Don't beg me to leave you or to stop following you. 
Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. You know, you, you want to talk about loyalty is hard to find in the good times. This, this lady named Ruth has uh, lost her father-in-law, lost her husband. They are basically penniless, scraping up, and now they're fixing to travel to, at least for Ruth, to a different country. And Ruth is like, I ain't got no ties to you other than my loyalty, but that's all you'll need is my loyalty. And she goes back with Naomi right? And we learned what happened to Ruth last week when we talked about Boaz. And if you weren't here, here's a real short summary of the life of Boaz and Ruth. What happens is they go back there. Naomi tells Ruth, go gather some barley out of this field. He's a, he's a kinfolk of my husband's that died. He's a great man. So uh, Ruth goes in there and she works his field. And there's a lot of old custom, uh, old Jewish customs that, that relegated how that worked. But Boaz saw Ruth and asked about who she was. She said, you know, Naomi, my mother-in-law, was a, was, uh, you were kin to his, her husband, and blah, blah, blah. And he takes care of Naomi. All right, he takes care of Ruth and Naomi and ends up marrying Ruth, who ends up, and I know that this is a lot of names, but I want you to know where this fits in in the pedigree, okay? So Boaz and Ruth are going to get married. They are going to have a son named Obed. Obed is going to have a son named Jesse. And Jesse is going to have a son named David, who will be the second king of Israel, okay? So that's where we're at. Loyalty. When we talk about loyalty in Scripture, I can think of three people that are just extreme examples of what a loyal life looks like. I think number three is a guy named Jonathan who's actually a contemporary of King David. He's King David's best friend. He's Saul's son. And even when Samuel anoints David as the king of Israel over Jonathan's father named Saul, Jonathan takes basically David's side and will not do anything to harm him, right? Talk about loyalty. Jonathan was loyal. The second, if I was to rank the people that are loyal, number three in the Bible would be Jonathan. Number two would be Ruth. For what we talked about, I mean, Ruth is only like four or five, six chapters. I mean, it's a really short, short book. But it's an amazing book about what it means to be loyal. Well, if Jonathan is three and Ruth is two, who could be one? Well, you know who it is. You know who the most loyal person in the Bible is, don't you? His name is God. And in Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 5, we're going to talk about three ways. Because here's the deal, guys. You know, I thought about trying to find some great examples of Ruth and how we could be more loyal by doing this and that and this and that. But you know what? Y'all are individuals and y'all are mature. And so instead of telling you how I think you should be more loyal to God, 
I think it's vastly important that you understand just how loyal God is to us. If we look to the greatest example of what loyalty is, it's not Jonathan and it's not Ruth. It's God. Even though Ruth opens the door to an amazing, and everything that we will talk about is what Ruth lived, of being loyal, not in the good times, but in the hard times. I mean, anybody can be loyal when everything's good, but can you be loyal when things are at their roughest? And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, we see what I like to think of as one of the most amazing and loyal statements about God ever made. And he's the one that says it. In Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a great example Ruth gave when she said, don't beg me to leave you or to stop following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. When we think about, I, when God said to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that what we tell God? Don't beg me to leave you or stop following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Man, what an amazing testament of loyalty when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What does that mean? Well, I think that all we have to, what we can learn most about, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13, 5 is found in Hebrews 13, 6. And in the simplified cowboy version, it says this. So we are more than confident when we say, the Lord rides beside me. I ain't afraid of nothing. People don't scare me at all. What could they do? Hebrews 13, 6, simplified cowboy version. See, the things that we can learn from God's loyalty to us. He's never made a promise that he's not going to keep. He's, he can't go back on his word. Not that I guess he couldn't, but it's just not, it's, it's, it's contrary to, their, to his nature. So he's, he can't lie. He can't be false. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What can we learn from that? We can learn that we can be confident in who we are. Listen, he's not talking to, to me. He's talking to you when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, understand that nowhere in that sentence does it say, I'll keep you from running off, right? He never says, I ain't going to allow you to leave me. He just says, I ain't going to leave you. And what can we learn from that type of loyalty? It's life-changing because it says right there in, in Hebrews 13, 6, that the Lord rides, so we're more than confident when we say the Lord rides besides me, I ain't afraid of nothing, people don't scare me at all. What could they do to me? We can be confident. And you know what? I think in, our, in today's day and age, man, not only is loyalty hard to find, real confidence is hard to find. And you know what real you know what the perverted form of, of real confidence is? Cocky. There's a lot of cockiness going around. Braggadocio, you know, puffing out the chest, this false bravado. But that doesn't mean, that's not the same as real confidence. Because that type of, of cockiness or bravado or bragging, stuff like that, it's, it's, 
it's, it doesn't have a foundation. But with God, we have a solid foundation that says that we can be confident in who you are and not just confident in who you are, but confidence in where you're going. Are you sure about where you're going? I hope you are. I hope you are. What else can we learn from God's loyalty to us when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? That we don't have to be scared anymore. And isn't it funny? <laughs> and and I, I always, I always, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, especially when it, when you thought it was good news. But there's this deal that goes around, that, and I actually saw it on TV yesterday. It's like, it says, do not be afraid 365 times in the Bible. It doesn't. Okay, it doesn't. It really doesn't. <laughs> like the closest they got was like 182 or something. I mean, it's just not true. But you know what is true? Is that it is by far one of the most often repeated commands. That we don't have to be afraid. And you know, and that's where the braggadocio comes from. Because a lot of us are scared to admit that we're afraid. We're afraid of, of where we're going. We're afraid of failing. Sometimes we're afraid of succeeding because we know the work that that will take. We're scared of giving him our lives. We're scared of, of giving him our hearts. We're scared of giving him our family. We're scared of giving him our relationships. We're scared of trusting him with our money. We're scared of trusting him with, with the things that, that we've done or didn't do or need to do or haven't done. What can we learn from God's loyalty when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? He's, I've always got your back. I've always got your back. And if you stick with me, because I ain't going to make you. See, that's, that's the deal right there. That's the deal. There's all these promises, but he ain't going to make you do nothing. He, hand, he holds his hand out and he says, let me show you the type of loyalty that I want to love you with. But he ain't going to reach out and grab you by the throat, okay? It ain't going to happen. What can we learn from God's loyalty? We can learn that we can be confident and we don't have to be scared. The second thing that we can learn from the loyalty of God, I mean, my gosh, the fact that the, the, when you look up into the sky and all of those stars are out there, and God loves you more than all of that. Loves you. Not the person sitting behind you or next to you or the one that you're looking at. He loves you with that kind of love. That I will never leave you nor forsake you. How about this for loyalty? Hebrews 8, 12. Once again, God talking. I will remember their sins no more. We were talking about this the other day. I think it was me and you, wasn't it, Mitch? Uh, I will remember their sins no more. Like, how is that possible? Like, you, you can't, I mean, I guess if you're a psycho, I guess you can forget something. And if you're a man, you forget stuff all the time. But besides those two things, it takes God to forget, right? I mean, we, we can say, oh, I forgot about it. Don't even, I, I've already forgot about that. No, you haven't. But when God says, I will remember their sins no more, it's like they never existed. So when you get up to heaven, and you're like, hey, man, sorry I, you know, kicked the cat that one time. God's going to be like, what are you talking about? He's going to be like, you, uh, you remember when that cat went out in front of me? Kicked it? No, I don't remember. What are you talking about? Like, that's the kind of love. He pres Jesus presents us to God faultless. 
And not based on anything that we did, but based upon what he did on the cross. But as a result of that cross and that cleansing that we have, he says, I will remember their sins no more. And what a, what a loyal thing, faithful, true. Isn't this the definition of love and loyalty? I mean, think about it. Think about it. What would your relationship look like if the person that loves you most in the world said, I will remember your sins no more. I will not hold it against you. That is the very definition of love and loyalty. I will remember their sins no more. And listen, if he's going to forget your sins, think about this. When you stand before God, if he's not going to remember a single one of your sins, then why are you so, why are you working so hard to hold on to them? Why don't you give yourself a break? See, I think that we, we can't give grace to others beyond what we're willing to give to ourselves. And what's the difference? And I, I already know what's going through some people's minds. Oh, well, you know, you, you're just making excuses like sin don't matter. Yes, I know it matters. But what's the difference in giving yourself grace and making an excuse for your behavior? The difference is what you do with it. See, I'm not asking you to excuse your sin. I'm asking you to move past it. And when I mean move past it, I mean repent of it and don't make it again. Now, there's always going to be sin, okay? But that don't mean it has to be the same ones. So why don't we focus on loving God instead of loving our sins? Do you spend more time thinking about how good and gracious and loving God is? Or do you spend most of your time thinking about God, about how much you're worried about how much you're failing, right? I'm not saying to, to just be lackadaisical about stuff. Oh, I slipped and had an affair. No, I mean, like, come on, man. <laughs> you didn't slip. You did it on purpose, right? And I'm, not, and I'm not saying to make light of that. But what I am saying is that God says, I will remember their sins no more. And see, that's, that's the beauty of God, is that all he asks, listen, I don't know how else to say it more than this. All he asks us to do, Jesus said, the works of God is this. In other words, that's a way of saying, you really want to know what God wants from you? The works of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. That's what God wants from you. Man, wh what if we put all of our energy into doing what God wants us to do? Because he says time and time again, I don't want you to remember the sin. I don't want you to do the sins, number one. But if you do, I'll forgive it. Just don't do it again. The story of love and loyalty. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will remember their sins no more. And finally, what can we learn about loyalty? Not just from Ruth, but the God that made her, that gave her the strength to demonstrate this type of loyalty. What's another word for loyalty or loyal? Isn't it faith, having faith? In our last scripture, of the three things that I just love so much about God's loyalty to us, the, the stuff that he won't go back on if we believe in him is found in Revelations 19, 11. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. You want to you know what you can learn about love and loyalty? 
from God is that his name, his very identity, his very nature is called faithful and true. What else can we learn from then I saw a heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider name was, was named faithful and true. What can we learn? But Jesus was a cowboy. He coming back on a horse. If he's in a dressage saddle. <laughs> I'm switching to dressage. I don't know. I don't know. See, faithful and true isn't just a name of God. It should be our purpose and goal. Faithful and true shouldn't just be the name of God. It should be our purpose and goal. See, let me see how I can do this. When I got Nanner turned back around, we had to do battle with the dragon. Not that I wanted to do battle with the dragon. The dragon wanted to do battle with me. And so I got my rope down. (laughs) And I tied a knot in the end of it. And me and him went at it. It's still referred to today as the the Royal Battle of I-10. And believe it or not, there was witnesses. Because in God's infinite humor, there was a rest area right there. (laughs) And there was a group from Boulder, California one, (laughs) that didn't take kindly to me hitting this llama dragon. This dragon llama with the tail of my rope that had a knot in it. And so Braxton and Karen start, I don't know what those names are, but that's just, <laughs> doesn't that sound right? Braxton and Karen, right? So Braxton yells at me that he's going to call the cops if I keep hitting this llama with my rope. <laughs> you can't make this up. I hear, stop that, stop that, quit it, quit it. And I look over while I'm doing battle, and this guy says, I'm going to call the cops if you don't stop doing that. And so I turned to him and I said, I wish you would for this thing kills me. (laughs) And I don't know, like eventually the llama got tired of getting hit on the on the head with a deal, and I, there was some words spoken that can't be repeated here. That was a long time ago. I'm not the same guy I was back then. I'd have killed it now. <laughs> I would have. I would have. But you know what? Our goal should not be to act like that. Our goal should be faithful and true because faithful and true is what the Bible calls loving without throat punching okay we are called to love others and that means not throat punching them especially when you really want to we're called to be loyal even when it's not good time to be loyal 
You don't get mad at people. Actually, I just laughed about old Braxton and Karen. I did. I laughed, and that's exactly what I told them. I said, I wish you would, for this thing kills me. Or gets me killed. I don't think the llama could kill me, but the sheep sure could have. The story of Ruth. A story of loyalty. And what we've done today is I hope you have a sense of the same power that Ruth used, that, that her life has been echoed throughout eternity in weddings and cool cards and relationships and stuff. But that loyalty didn't come from Ruth. That loyalty came from God. And we've demonstrated today just how loyal God is to us. But I think it would be remiss to end without asking the question, how loyal to him are we? Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you for loving us. Loving us with a, we can't even understand it, God. We, we fail you every day, but let us look to you for our salvation with our hope, with our dreams. We can even take our fears to you, to drop them off at the throne so that we can learn what it means to be Christ-like, to love with the same type of love that you have demonstrated time and time and time again to us. God, leave us with a sense of purpose, with, the, with somewhat of a sense of urgency, God, because we don't know when our expiration date is going to happen. But while we live in the dash between the two dates, I pray that we are loyal, faithful, and true, just like you are. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.